everybody. <laughs> uh, th <laughs> thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov, all the way live with what BTR does best, which is these kind of crossovers that you're never going to have anywhere else on the internet. We've got Jack, the perfume nationalist here. We've got Nina Paley, genius animator. We got Chad Haig, the Chad Shake, Chad Haig, all the way from India. And we are going to be talking today about Snow White. We're going to be talking a bit about Barbie as well. I know, Nina, you haven't had time to see the movie yet. But, but I've, uh, I've read tons of reviews and synopses and online clips and things like that. I just yeah, haven't so, seen the uh, whole thing. So we're definitely going to get into it. But first, let's start with uh, Snow White and the uh, new up-and-coming uh, actress who was uh, bad-mouthing the original Snow White and whether this is a sign that... Uh, the old fairy tale paradigms of uh, you know helpless princess being rescued by the prince, uh, whether this is going away, you know fully. We're not gonna have this anymore to even like a small extent, and now it's gonna be completely equal men, women. I guess everybody's gonna be like one of those RPG American RPG characters. Like I don't know if you guys have seen recent american or western rpgs it's very different from like japanese or korean rpgs where they do start to make women look very you know not attractive you know so i think that there may be something going in that direction as far as like this male female equality but we're gonna get wait wait wait, wait the yes. american ones make females less attractive yes jack okay. uh, uh what do you think do you agree or disagree uh with the video game characters yeah uh it's yeah only america is punished with the uh woke gender thing of people being unable to understand what fantasy is or who the target audience for a video game is this is just the result of all that all those years of like gamergate shit of like women getting into the industry and what was their accomplishment in the industry it was to make the female characters uglier and make the breasts smaller um and presumably to hold a bunch of useless meetings about things but that's all they do um yeah it, it's stupid i mean i hope uh i don't care about video games but i hope that eventually uh american video game developers could recover some freedom and these people these ideologues could lose interest in that industry but i don't know maybe it's just all the they make all the women look like shrek well, I mean, it is it is kind of a tangent because you have some examples. that's not like can any you... kind of like misogynist exaggeration. Can, can you it? do some screen share? Because I don't, I don't, I'm not. They in just culture, like so... like you look side by side, and it'll uh, show like a female character who's like, okay, this is the you know like auburn braid hair fantasy lady, and then it goes past some sort of female executive where she says, no, the nose need the bridge of the nose needs to be wider. She needs to be fatter. Her I just want to see it. Smaller. I believe you. I believe you. But right, no, I'm, I'm not good at like multi-dexterously pulling up things up. I'm going to look some it. things up. I'm going to be your Jamie here. But again, this is more of a side tangent. I would not say that uh, our uh, actress for uh, Snow White, uh, Rachel Zelger, is like some uh, hulking uh, Shrek creature by any means. She's very pretty. She's very cute. Yeah, she, and yeah, she she's has, cute. But uh, has, like, cartoon, yeah. very pretty cartoon she's face. She's cute. Disney's not going to cast an ugly person. No. You know, Disney doesn't allow ugly people in their things, regardless of the... But the only question here, not as a, not well, as a, no, no. But the only yeah. question here is whether this is the trajectory that we are heading towards of more and more of this, uh, you know, kind of 
hatred of anything romantic, hatred of anything having to do with, like, the prince uh, rescuing the princess. I don't know, Nina, the film's not out yet, but uh, we've had uh, Miss uh, Zelger uh, say what it's going to be like. What say you about the situation? It's freaking Disney. I mean, they're an awful company. They're, they make terrible decisions. They... I, I'm just like, I can't take... I, when I knew that they were making this movie, I was just like, yeah, another one, right? Like, first of all, you shouldn't make a live action version of every cartoon, particularly that cartoon. But they do, because all they do is recycle stuff. Uh, I mean, my relationship with the movie industry, the mainstream movie industry, is just like they, they churn out just a lot of garbage, and Disney especially. And us even talking about this just makes it worse because like I didn't pay any attention. Like I sort of vaguely heard that they were making this movie and it was just like, you know, again, like no surprise. And now it's like, Oh, we're talking about it. So I, you know, watched the video clips you sent and I read the article and it's like, now I have more space in my brain devoted to this stupid Disney picture. <laughs> <laughs> which was free of it before. Uh, I mean, I feel like Disney, just like the Oscars, it's like we're, we're only encouraging them by paying attention. <laughs> they just keep doing it. Well, so, How much of it, by the way, do you think is part of the strategy of uh, using that whole uh, reactive anger economy to uh, boost, or is that just an um, accident? Oh, gosh. That is a good question. I would believe that the people, uh, be, the, all the executives and stuff at Disney genuinely believe the woke ideology, but the end result is uh, these endless publicity cycles uh, where people are uh, outraged that something from their childhood is being uh, altered or raped with woke ideology in some way. And it's been going on so long that like, when word got out that there was a Snow White one, I just felt nothing. Because obviously they would do it for Snow White, because Snow White is a symbol of whiteness as as the ultimate standard of beauty and, like, female purity. So, you know, it's just, like, I, I just feel maybe in, like, 2015, 2016, I felt that, like, rage at them doing these live-action reboots. But they just, like, come and go. Like, I just don't even pay any attention to what Disney currently does i'm a big fan of like basically pre-1992 disney stuff and i actually think that disney plus is a very cool streaming service because of its intense interest in its own archives um and preserving history even with all these like uh di woke disclaimer things and trigger warnings there's no other streaming network like that that's quite so invested in its own obscure history like 50s live action movies about squirrels and stuff um but this is just yeah i mean this is like the little mermaid thing over and over again but when the movie actually came out who cared like no one the movie just kind of disappears it makes a certain number amount of money based on brand recognition automatically um i just think it's a really like cynical moment in movie making where hollywood tries to figure out you know how they can keep the coffers full and it's just 
by reproducing its classics with some kind of controversy. Yeah, and also with this controversy, I was thinking like, well, you can always see the original, right? Like they're not literally raping the original because the original is still there and you can see it. And they own it. So if they drive people crazy with a crummy remake, people are going to be like, oh, I like the original so much more. And then they're going to watch the original, which they also now, profit uh, from. Hold on a second, though. Let's keep in mind that uh, we are of a uh, generation that is like, I don't know how old everybody here is. But we are not part of the generation like, uh, well, even like uh, Miss Zegler, for instance, where she says that this movie, the original Snow White, you know, that was set in the 30s. Like this is, uh, you know, showcasing all kinds of like stalking and all kinds of female oppression, things like that. So the fact that things are out there, I mean, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and you know, all the greatest works of philosophy are out there. That doesn't mean the people are going to read it. So if Disney puts all this stuff into their portal... I'm not really sure what the next generation is going to be into. Whether they're going to look up, I don't know, Song of the South. I don't. Is Song of the South there? I uh, I don't have no. A they haven't. No. The last time they released Song of the South theatrically <laughs> was 1986, which was actually pretty recent. Uh, but it's the only one that is has not been officially released on video anywhere, but in J Japan, and you can get it. Like they sell really good quality bootlegs of it in like Savannah, Georgia, where they have like. Uncle Remus, Joel Chandler Harris interest. Um, and Song of the South is an interesting case because uh, their own censorship of it has made it seem like something that it's not, where it's actually a, this very like sweet, kind of like innocuous, good-natured uh, movie where Uncle Remus is the protagonist. Yeah, and he's, he's like, not a slave, by the way. He's not a slave. They, they give you this erroneous idea that he's like a slave just because it takes place in the, uh, you know, antebellum mm -hmm. South. Um, well, I guess it's a similar thing to like Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and things of that nature where there is a certain stereotype of this, you know, nice black person who is, you know, very doting. And that's kind of an image that they also associate with the slave days. So I could see how they could see a connection there. But at the same time, I could also see how that is also part of uh, the South. But that is, again, kind of like a tangent here. The more important thing to this discussion is that, I mean, forget Song of the South, but even like the classic Snow White or any of the uh, pre-2000s Disney animated movies... Is there going to be as much interest if so much of it is just going to be all this noise that's going to be advertised and pumped into the heads of kids that are going to be watching TikTok and stuff? Like, I don't know. I'm starting to think that even movies in general is not really going to be the future anymore if the attention span of a lot of kids gets really low. But then as far as what ends up replacing it, like, I don't want to focus too much on the technology here for now. But I want to go back to the feminism aspect because Nina, you are a feminist. You are a uh, turf. And what does feminist mean? That's a good question. Well, you want, from what I understand, uh, women to be given the opportunity to be equal to men in any capacity, which I do agree with. But the question we that can't I... be equal to men in any capacity. Well, I mean, more of like if there is a woman who really wants to be a plumber, let's say, then nothing should stand in her way of being a plumber or being an executive or be yada, yada, yada. You get the idea. Like to me, I mean, there are I... some things there's there. That's like, that's what gender ideology has really made clear over the last decade 
is that there are in fact some differences between men and women that you can't get rid of. So yeah, there's a lot of things. Women are very capable and should have opportunities, but uh, uh, you know, men have more upper body strength. That's just a fact, like a lot more upper body strength. And it, they're probably outlined, you know, some women that can do jobs that require a whole lot of upper body strength, but there's a lot of really dirt average men that can do those. So you're just going to see a lot more men in those jobs. And it's not because of sexism. It's because of sex. I love these so, comments, by the way. <laughs> we have a galaxy brain Vangus who says pipe fitter queens. Oh, and your friend Karina, the wonderful Karina Cohn, who says women long to work in the mines, part of Heterodork's podcast. Chair recommend that. Uh, no, it it's out. men. Men long for the mines, right? <laughs> women. We were just talking yeah. about this because we did a podcast. Well, well a mine earlier. is kind of like a like a giant uh, vagina in a way. Like you go into the mine, <laughs> you extract the uh, you extract the jewels. You know, there you, you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Men long for, but I think, I think it's Anna Slats who likes to say that because there's a lot of men who I generally respect, but when you do start talking about these inherent differences between men and women, uh, there's this idea, which is true in many ways that many women really want to have children. Many women really do. Not all of us, but many do. Many would be happier having children. So what you get from that is men who are like, women just want to have children. And if they're not having children, they're just making themselves miserable. And that really may be true for some or even many women. But then there's some women that don't. And we're incredibly glad and will fight to the death for the freedom to not have to be baby makers. Yeah. But, but here's the ultimate question, though. And I want to get this uh, from Nina and then from everybody, including the great Chad Hay, who has not spoken at all. And I'm afraid, like, his internet's going to go down the moment that I call on him <laughs> in India. So let's keep our fingers crossed that, that doesn't happen. But anyway, the, qu the question is this. As far as having the freedom that women have today, and I think that's great, that's beautiful. What ends up happening when you have Disney and other corporations that start advertising and start convincing girls, young women, that they have to go into this uh, very particular direction of rejecting romance, of rejecting, you know, having a husband, trying to find like their knight in shining armor, not being like this uh, damsel in distress archetype in order to uh, get to the man. Like when you, and I know it's like a couple of different things in there that don't always go together. But the point is, is that when you have forces that start influencing um, young girls and women, then how much would you say the choice that they're making is their own as opposed to just being programmed to make these choices and how do you fight against that? So Nina, you go first, but then I want to hear from Jack and Chad. All right. I grew up in the enlightened seventies where second wave feminism was ascendant. And I had many second wave feminist ideas, including you do not need a man. You are not helpless. Helplessness in women is a bit disgraceful. And I remember coming of age in all of this and my hormones going haywire and desiring men. And I was deeply ashamed of it, deeply. Somehow other women were cool with these natural desires, 
but I was very ill at ease with it. And I would even have, now remember I was mentally a mess, right? I had like big depressive episodes uh, and also gender dysphoria. I probably would be transed if I had been a teenager today. Um, but uh, it did not at all make me not interested in men or not interested in romance. It might have made me a little bit more neurotic about it, but then I, I don't think anything stops these primal drives that human animals have. Like I've seen other, like I've also never wanted kids. Right. And that, that non-desire to have kids was supported by my environmental ideas. I met a lot of environmentalists who intellectually and ideologically did not want to have kids or thought having kids was bad, but they reached a certain age and they had kids anyway. And then they found ways to rationalize doing that. So I think there are primal drives that nothing can stop and nothing will stop. Like I, I also like when I was dating a guy that had kids, his 13 year old daughter thought she was queer. She thought she was a lesbian because being a lesbian was cool. And she identifies that. And she was like a closeted heterosexual. And yeah, you can be closeted for a couple years, but that is a really strong drive and it's going to come out eventually. And now she's married to a man, not very surprising. So I don't think crummy or ideological Disney movies are going to change anyone's basic primal behaviors. I think that they are going to be annoying to many people. They might be appealing to some people. This might actually be a good movie. You know, we don't know. I don't know. It, it was uh, not, written but... by Greta Gerwig, the director of Barbie, which we're going to be talking about. So, yeah, who knows exactly what the movie's going to be like, but more as far as that kind of influence goes. Aren't we seeing, unless I'm mistaken, relationships going kind of down the drain today? Maybe you could say it's because of the economy or other factors, but... Uh, social media, pornography. Yeah, social media, exactly. Uh, I mean, things, have, things have changed. So as far as this whole, uh, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, brainwashing is the right term here, but as far as what these movies have as their message how much would you guys attribute like jack and chad how much would you guys attribute that to changing anything or do you agree with nina that these things have no power over young women ultimately? i didn't say none but well, okay, but less, they don't have that power. much they, yeah, they don't have power. total like i say they can they can they can make you more neurotic about who you are but well, then so can the alternative right like if depending on who you are like any sort of model which is what this media is, any sort of model that is like handed to you and you're like, you should be like this. Like no matter who you are, there's going to be people that don't fit that and it's going to just make them neurotic. But that's just a problem with media in general. Well, we're living in the world seeing the results of decades and decades of that kind of messaging. Like this, uh, like uh, sort of feminist criticisms and revisions of fairy tales and myths and stuff is absolutely nothing new. Frozen was the biggest movie in the entire world. That was from what, 2009? That's really old now. Um, and the whole point of Frozen was to uh, go through and correct all of the misogynist stereotypes of Disney fairy tales. So you have the girl 
being kind of harsh and like farting and rescuing the guy and uh the guy being like useless and just um by the way it's not uh it's never the aim is never equality the aim is at the expense of men so you have to make men there's always there's always uh you know a give or take here what they do is explicitly to make male characters weak and make men less complex and uh, take away agency from male characters so it's never just about empowering girls and by the way girls there's no limit to the empowering messaging which girls are receiving from media like the idea that there's any kind of lack of self-esteem or anything that needs to be done that has yet to be done to convince girls that they can do whatever they want is absurd and it's part of this lopsided inaccurate dated view of culture now uh, where objectively men are way down here men have terrible jobs men get paid less you don't get hired if you're a man the entire structure of culture is about mocking you actively demonizing you as a terrorist for your own sexual urges uh you know decades and decades of this and this we still have these discussions of oh but what about the self-esteem of girls guess what the entire school system is about the self-esteem of girls and building up girls like there's um but the the sort of like fractured fairy tale thing of like but what if fairy tales were feminine like that's that was a big academic trend in like the 80s you know it's still going strong after Nina i just, just want to ask i just so I don't think the prince in the original Snow White was a complex character. Yeah. So I just want to comment on your complexity of these male characters. They're I'm not talking. That wasn't in reference just to <laughs> fairy tales. That was in reference to all media where, uh, where male characters in movies now, if they exist at all, there really aren't any anymore in anything. It's all movies are about teenage girls being depressed. All of the all new movies. <laughs> All of them. There's, all horror movies are about... still action movies. No, literally. I mean, barely. Barely. Um, but uh, <laughs> barely there's that. But, um, you know, the the male character, if he is to be any kind of, like, romantic lead, or if the girl is, uh, is romantically interested in him at all, he has one role to play, and that is to uh, uncritically support her on the girl boss journey of her choosing. Um, so that's the only way it's this kind of haze code censorship thing of men. That's the only way men can be good in movies now is to support her on her journey, whatever that may be, because every avenue is open to her and she can't be criticized for any of them, but he will support her. Chad, now it's time for uh, you to finally be unleashed upon the world. You have been held in the prison uh, for too long. So what do you got to say? Oh, if we're talking about the kind of image that um, the media, or um, specifically Disney, is uh, promoting for women for how they should want to envision themselves as explicitly being a revision of fairy tales on grounds that, um, as Rachel Zegler said herself in that uh, infamous video clip, um, it's the year 2023, it's not 1938 or whatever. Her criticism of Snow White is precisely that it's from the 1930s and a lot has changed since then. Really, I think Zegler is just a more intelligent version of Anita Sarkeesian. It's quite fitting that she was mentioned, Sarkeesian, a Gamergate just within the first few minutes of this live stream because what Zegler can't say in quite the same terms as Anita Sarkeesian had done, which is just the idea that 
what has changed from the 1930s to the 2020s is technological in nature. Um, Sarkeesian's critique of video games was really that we should not have the same mythological archetypes um, from the ancient world, like the damsel in distress. You can find that in uh, Andromeda being saved by Perseus and countless other stories dating back thousands of years. We should not have those mythological archetypes on a system that is as sophisticated as, say, the Xbox 360. And a lot has changed since then, by the way. Um, what, what is it, the PS5 now? How many PS iterations are we on It's now? only getting I actually uglier don't by the generation, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> right, but on a purely technological level, these machines are far too sophisticated to still be trafficking in mythological archetypes from thousands of years ago, says Anita Sarkeesian. And specifically, the damsel in distress is offensive to her because what appears to be a subject is really an object. So the agency within um, a game like Mario is exclusively held by male characters. You have the protagonist Mario and you have the villain Bowser and they're fighting over Peach in the same way that uh, football players fight over a football, right? You have um, a competition over who's going to possess the football in much the same way that you have um, a, a contest within that game over who's going to be able to, to get uh, Peach. And Sarkeesian argued that the um, timeless, what appears to be the timeless nature of these archetypes is actually just our own laziness in disguise. So somebody like Julius Savola would argue that you have these archetypes universally. Um, you have um, the, the Cinderella story, for example, not just within every Western tradition of folklore, but even within, there's a Chinese version. And um, one folklorist actually claimed you could trace it all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia, where our earliest written language, of course, is Sumerian. Um, so really as far back as records go, you can find this. And um, some like Julius Evola would say, that's because it's actually disclosing something that is really real, not just on a physical, but a metaphysical level. It's disclosing something of a spiritual absolute. A great example of this, according to Evola, is um, the story of King Arthur. Um, King Arthur draws the sword that nobody else can pull, kind of like Rom in um, Indian um, mythology um, is able to lift the uh, bow that nobody else can, um, not because he's physically stronger than anyone. That's how we would misinterpret that today, but rather because on a spiritual level, he is fit to rule the nation in a non-democratic, avowedly non-democratic society in which not everyone is fit to rule. Somebody on a metaphysical level as king is fit for that position. And this is something which is manifested to you through the mythological archetype of um Arthur being able to pull the sword no one else can. This also has uh, equivalence in Greek-Persian mythology because it's universal. Well, Anita Sarkeesian says that it's not that this actually tells us anything metaphysical. It's rather that we fall back on familiar stories as an excuse for our own laziness. We're so familiar with how the damsel in distress story is going to flow that we um, have a tendency to prefer stories we're already familiar with enough that we don't have to do that much work in interpreting them. And this is something which Sarkeesian in her um, uh, master's thesis at York University argued, we have to push the limits, was her own phrase, to challenge ourselves to envision different mythological archetypes with the realization that the technological progress which has occurred at the level of machines can be met with social progress in the form of having those video games systems disclose more up-to-date trends. And, and Zegler's really just a less intelligent version of Sarkeesian. She's arguing the same thing. The problem with Snow White is that 
the film in the 30s could still rely on the damsel in distress. It could still disclose something like love, whereas now um, it's just a stalker, right? That's her, her quote. The, the, the prince is just a creepy stalker, and the dwarves are no longer dwarves. Um, they're just seven homeless drug addicts of different racial and um, gender backgrounds. And that's exactly the point at which you no longer have Snow White. The story itself has disappeared because we have done away with all the archetypes that made it Snow White. Now it's, for Disney, just another item on a laundry list of franchises they can remake because they themselves are too lazy to think of. They're incapable, I should say, of thinking of anything new precisely because, from a Kaczynski and an Illulian perspective, they're so deep in modern technology that technology's prohibition against human thought has made it impossible for the same people who are quite literally professional thinkers to do any thinking. And the idiocy, quite frankly, of Zegler saying, I starred in a film that I hate myself, is leading um, the headlines today to be that uh, this film might even be canceled before its release because Zegler just told her yourself that it's, not, it's a story that is not worth thinking about. Damn. All right, Niners, you had your hands up. What say you I, about this? I did not think this would be germane to the discussion, but I am thinking about Sita Sings the Blues, <laughs> a film I made based on the Ramayana. And how can I say it? When I started Sita Sings the Blues, when I first read the Ramayana, I thought Sita's a doormat. And, you know, I should do some little version of this where she, you know, revolts or whatever, where she like overthrows her oppression, something like that, stops being a doormat. But then uh, my husband dumped me by email while I was on a trip to New York. He was still in India. And I was heartbroken and would have happily, you know, done sati myself. Well, not happily, but I was... I was in enough anguish that I thought about it. All these... For those who don't know, that means uh, when uh, the widows jump in the fire and right. uh, mm. die. I was suicidal. Man. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and just like I said before, when I was growing up, that I did not think I was supposed to have these attractions to men or attachments to men, that I was neurotic about them. I was utterly confused by my devastation. I was like, I am today's modern female woman why do I feel like dying? Why do I want to die? Because my husband doesn't love me anymore. And, you know, I had my ideas about life and then I had my actual experience of it. And that really changed my interpretation of the Ramayana. And when I did a version of it, I was true to the story. I, I put my own, you know, mind in it of course and i i acknowledged my americanness and and all these other things but um i understood sita in a really different and i think much more profound way and i thought like these are not a lot of a lot of women in india complain about the ramayana because they're like this is like a demand for us to behave like this and it's like a prescription and, and, you know, for conservative people, it is a prescription. But for me, it's like, no, it's, it's not that. These are archetypes. These are like human archetypes that we all have. And it's universal and it transcends culture and time. And I'm finding in it a reflection of my own self, where, which I never expected. And I don't have to like it 
you know, I don't have to go like, this is how I should be, but it's like, well, this is how I am. And uh, yeah, it was like a transformative experience for me to make that movie. And um, yeah, I mean, these myths, myths are very powerful and they stick around for a long time uh, for a reason. And again, that's not, they're not to be prescriptive. I think interpreting them as a prescription is a terrible idea, but, but I think there's always something we can find about ourselves in them. There is like some kind of strange accumulated wisdom in them, not prescriptive, but informative somehow. Well, before I get to Jack, that may be something that's easy for somebody like yourself who's an uh, intelligent uh, person to see. For other people, though, I doubt that they're going to be picking and choosing which aspects of a mythology they want to embrace. It just seems more like people watch something and then they just start subconsciously acting like this uh, thing that they were i mean both nature and nurture obviously but uh, when it comes to something like the mythology of cedar or any, any other kind of mythology i would think that if for example we had some massive tiktok china style campaign in order to encourage i don't know uh certain you know s- s- certain ways of being w- i don't know maybe i'm wrong here would that have somewhat of an effect on gen z as far as the way that they act with each other, like how much does this technology, because Chad, you were saying that these Disney creators are absolutely helpless when it comes to uh, technology, but what if there were some people who were smart enough to figure out a way to use this weapon for good, to actually, I wouldn't say maybe inspire people, but get people to act in such a way that they don't end up making dumb mistakes, especially for the people who are not as intelligent, who are not going to be able to be, you know, be very careful about how they interpret a certain mythology. But let's that's, at, with, that's yeah. what they're trying to do. They believe that they're doing that. Well, according, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about this because according to Chad, they don't even have that much will power in that. But before I get to Chad, because that is an interesting thought, uh, Jack, what say you about the power of technology to influence people, perhaps for the better, if the right people get the reins, so to speak, of uh, these mechanisms? Um, I mean, regarding like gender roles in myths and whatnot, I I think the the biggest cost or the biggest victims in all of this are boys. Just because they have no role model, they aren't represented at all in current media. Everything is either explicitly for girls or unisex. If you go down like the former boys toy aisle in a Walmart or something, uh, the G.I. Joes are all like like black women. I'm not joking. I'm not like a conservatard making that up. It's they're They're forced to triangulate any identification through a female authority figure and they already do that the your entire life as a boy you are uh, women are in control of your destiny you go you know in the school system it's all women it's a matriarchy your mother controls you your manager likely is a woman uh like there's no identification and we 
see this now that younger men feel this compulsion to masquerade as women just to feel um politically valuable or seen um but regarding the technology and regarding snow white specifically this is a weird minor woke controversy to me because the more um like mythically offensive thing about snow white and princesses in general is that they're about uh the innate value of physical beauty and how physical beauty is a reflection of a pure soul underneath which is something that you'll find to be really true uh with your own eyes like not not that everyone beautiful is is automatically a good person but the kind of movie stereotypes of like Barbies and jocks are like bad bullies and ugly seething nerds are the good people inwardly. That's not true. Beautiful people are kind. Well, I mean, I, I <laughs> but they're not going of... for that. They, they get this girl, whoever yeah. this girl is, I don't know to say, say something for media attention. And she's like a dumb, you know, piece of shit who just says whatever she, you know, stupid things she absorbed on the iPad and her shitty, shitty school system which is probably something like it's from the 30s and like a man like has to rescue her and like i don't know like i don't want to be in this movie like i hate this movie i shit on this movie and like you know that's a current thing of actresses uh shitting on the movie that they're in and that's been a thing since me too of actresses going through and like shitting on their body of work so no one can enjoy it so they say that they were like raped or made to do a nude scene or something it's really unfortunate and it's hollywood eating itself so yeah i don't know i hope i answered one of your questions there no ab absolutely and uh, when it does come to how much of these decisions that they make is just like this being an empty vessel getting information from another empty vessel that got like that girl doesn't vessel. know that girl doesn't yeah. know what disney is that girl doesn't know she's just <laughs> some girl they picked out of a lineup because of how she looked i don't you know she's not the center of this the journalists the 30 year old journalist will goad you into saying something like what do you think of snow white being from the 30s and being about a white person who gets rescued by a man like that's the journalist goads the dumb fucking girl into saying that it's not the girl making up her own publicity tour like it, actors are stupid and they shouldn't be allowed to speak for themselves and if the better the actor the dumber they are so they should be the like girls. Hannibal Lecter. They should just like be wheeled in and just like, yeah. Have like a <laughs> so you you get the the predatory journalist gets you, their job is to get that soundbite of you saying something related to a current woke controversy, which can be regurgitated on Twitter. You know yeah. when you when you were saying this was going to be about damsel in distress, I thought at first you were talking about the actress. Because I saw that <laughs> clip of her and, you know, she's she's having to go through this, not a cancellation experience, but yeah. people saying like really mean things about her. She's like 22, totally unprepared for this. She doesn't know what she she's... doesn't. Yeah, she really doesn't. And and, you know, like she has to 
deal with people not liking her, which has got to be devastating. And they're saying really mean things about her. Like this guy said, yeah. this is the most unlikable actress I've ever seen. So I was expecting something awful. And then I watched her clip and I was like, oh, she's cute. You know, she's, the, the, her she's and, her pretty and... Her voice. and her and her voice all this time is saying, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. You know, like it's, uh, it's, uh, it is kind of like being this vessel that can be inspired by uh, something like religion, for example. If someone like her was to give their life to something like that, I could see why religion is so powerful for a lot of people. And that used to be the, uh, well, my friend Neil, uh, Gnostic informant, always says that Christianity was like the original woke culture in comparison to what was the uh, Roman Empire uh, paganism uh, before that. So I don't know, Chad, if you would agree with that statement, like how the original social justice warriors were Christians. But uh, in order to thread this into what we're talking about right now, which I'm going to uh, strangely attempt to do, when it does come to technology... And the, oh man, here I go talking about, again, the uh, Age of Aquarius. This techno, uh, Nina's laughing already, this techno future that we're living in right now, meme analysis, who's coming in next week, a uh, very interesting YouTuber, I'm sure a lot of you guys know him, he talked about how in the Age of Aquarius, there's going to be two different uh, paths for people to go into. The one path uh, is going to be going within, and discovering, uh, thanks to, you know, the knowledge that we can access today, certain things about ourselves that uh, we would have had a harder uh, time discovering. But then the other path would be outwards, where we would become part of the machine, part of the Borg. And whether you see, after Christianity and the Age of Pisces, the Age of Aquarius would have this other, probably majority of people going into this technological hive, where the kind of wokeness that we were talking about right now you're saying that it's technology. That's what's pushing this particular flavor. And where exactly do you th see this flavor going and how how different is this flavor going to be, like, I guess, in the middle of the age of Aquarius, if we're going to look uh, that far. So anyway, Chad, that, that's a lot of information, but I'm sure that you know exactly what to do with it. So go for it. And there's a lot to discuss there, but the idea that one of the paths available for people in this technological age is to just become part of the machine. That's the irony is that's what's actually happening, despite the fact that um, really the only archetype to my knowledge um, that they've been able to come up with after doing away with all of the old ones, um, for which Anita Sarkeesian herself in her um, 2010 master's thesis before she was infamous for Gamergate. If you want to know she really thinks on an academic level, you just read that old master's thesis from York University. She says, we need to get rid of the old archetypes, but I can't tell you what the new ones will be. So that's the challenge. We have to experiment, basically. We just know that it won't entail things like um, uh, sexism or racism or trans, all these um, things on a laundry list. It's not that, but I can't tell you what it's going to be. Well, really, the only thing they've been able to come up with is the idea of empowering women, but in a totally unrealistic manner. If you look at the um, Disney remakes, like Mulan, for example, um, in the original Mulan cartoon in the 1990s, she was an ordinary girl. Um, she had limitations and um, she had to struggle through challenges and she did sort of prevail over them, but there was nothing magical about it. In the Mulan remake, they actually gave her superhero powers. And um, so too with this Cinderella, the whole point of the movie is just her own 
self-empowerment and her own illusion of, of having absolute freedom without any limitations. And this is also what makes the, um, the films just plain not interesting to watch. It's not a coincidence that Barbie is um, the exception among recent films. Uh, we have this massive decline in um, box office attendance in which um, uh, Disney alone has lost about $900 million producing these flop films nobody wants to watch. And people can fall back on things like, well, there were lockdowns or, well, the, the price of a movie ticket is, what, $15 a, a ticket now in America or something like that. But you have exceptions like Barbie, which people did watch precisely because it doesn't try to BS its way out of things that everybody knows is true. Everybody knows that mortality, for example, is a real problem. The Mulan film kind of <laughs> tries to act as though it doesn't exist. But we all know that we're mortal. We all know that that's something which we can struggle against, but we'll never actually overcome. And this is really, if you scratch the surface, um, a film from 2023, but really just the oldest story ever told. Um, if you read the epic of Gilgamesh, as uh, I was doing just yesterday, coincidentally, um, if you're learning um, uh, Akkadian and Sumerian, it's interesting to look back at uh, a lot of epic of Gilgamesh uh, gives you the oldest um, story ever told in the oldest languages ever written. And it's interesting to see that even that far back, even in the Sumerian and Akkadian cuneiform tablets, you still see the problem of mortality. The big problem for um, uh, Gilgamesh is he um, is a, a person who seems to be like the most powerful within his group. So the gods create a double for him named Enkidu, the wild man. And they're partners for a while, um, like they're, um, they're uh, partners in crime, right? They're a superhero and sidekick. And then one day Enkidu dies. And when Enkidu dies, who is explicitly created by the gods to be the double of Gilgamesh, someone equally strong, etc. When when he, even he dies, Gilgamesh becomes obsessed with trying to figure out how to solve the problem of death. He's led from uh, Mesopotamia all the way to the island of Bahrain, where he meets a man who uh, is so old he lived before the Great Flood. And he learns that the secret of immortality is that he can eat a plant which will make him immortal. Unfortunately, when he goes for a swim, a snake eats the plant in what is really the same mythological archetype that you find in the Garden of Eden with the serpent and Adam and Eve. And at that point, knowing he can't have immortality, even though he had the chance, he has to go back into the world of mortality. And this is really what Barbie is about. This is what makes it an interesting story. She also has her double, who is the girl in the real world who plays with her. And the girl's anxieties of someone who has to live in a real world rather than a fantasy world, of which is Barbie land, basically, um, her anxieties get transitively passed on to the Barbie doll in much the same way that Enkidu's death is transferred over to Gilgamesh. She travels to the figurative Bahrain, which is the real world. She confronts the problem of her own mortality. And rather than go into the Barbie world where death doesn't really happen because time doesn't pass, she accepts it, and at the end, we see her symbolically uh, um, in a gynecologist's office because the Hegelian irony here is that survival seems to mean what can I do to live forever, whereas in reality, survival is not of you but of the whole species. If you reproduce, then all if you're a rabbit, for example, according to Hegel, um, no matter what that one rabbit does, it will always die. Uh, but if it reproduces, then rabbit, which is the name of the whole species, will live on. So this contrast between a movie that was successful because it deals with things dating back to the earliest records because they're universal problems we can't wish away versus what you see with um, the new Snow White movie, I really I think does come down to technology because the irony here um, is that um, Anita Sarkeesian acts as though we're free to create whatever archetypes we want 
to catch up with technological progress that's already happened for machines. But she misses the point that this technological progress comes at a cost. And that cost is your, just your own ability to think. Because from a Kaczynski and an Illulian perspective, the further that technological progress um, um, advances, specifically in the form of thinking machines, <clears throat> artificial intelligence, the more there is a system of Darwinist natural selection put in place in which only those humans who don't interfere with the decisions which the AI has already made will be favored by the pr uh, uh, process of natural selection to obtain things like positions of authority, influence, wealth. There's a talk earlier in this discussion about the kind of people who make it into management positions are vividly unworthy, but they've been naturally selected into that position. Um, Zegler was naturally selected into the position of a Hollywood celebrity, despite, quite frankly, her idiocy, because she's favoring what the global technological system already wants, which is the destruction of all of these mythological archetypes in favor of temporary linguistifications, which are just code words for advancing itself. To say very quickly, the funny thing about 68 genders from a Kaczynski standpoint is that they're just a shorthand. They're just an intermediary on the way to a genderless society. You can have your choice now on a consumerist level of any one of 68 genders, questionable as the existence of some of them might be, because in the long term, this is just a way to get everybody to be exactly the same. You won't have any tendencies because you're a man or a woman, as was the case for the rest of human history. You'll behave exactly as the global technological system requires anyone in that position to behave. And at that point, you have people fully integrated into the exterior realm of the machine in much the same way that was predicted. So it's almost like how I was talking in the beginning of this stream about these RPG characters in the West all kind of like starting to look like each other regardless of whether it's a man or a woman. So yeah, I kind of see what you're getting at here, becoming part of the Bork. Now, since you mentioned Barbie, I do want to get back to Jack because Jack, you also saw Barbie movie, you saw it today. Uh, what did you think? And also, do you agree with uh, Chad's assessment here? I sure did see it. And um, lately, since there's no, there are no reliable uh, critical voices, there's no like Siskel and Ebert today to tell you if a movie is good or bad. So it's just this crapshoot of online contrarianism. Um, so I never really know what to expect. I uh, was predisposed to think Barbie would be not good because I thought that Greta Gerwig's Little Women and Lady Bird were extremely bland, milquetoast examples of peak woke affirmative action mediocrities, uh, especially her like age blind Little Women movie. Um, I'm happy to say that I absolutely loved Barbie. I thought it was marvelous. Um, and I can completely understand why people are flocking to see it. I think it's some, it's really impressive that something this, uh, sophisticated and weird and colorful and, uh, genuinely smart is generating billions of dollars just based on name recognition, brand recognition let's be honest most people are going to see this movie just because it says barbie on it and it's pink i you know if you go in walmart or whatever you will see the dead-eyed cow people 
wearing Barbie shirts. That's who's going to see this movie. They don't care about the content of this movie. They just see that it's pink and it says Barbie. It could be anything. A, a few years ago, this would have been a, a, a cookie cutter woke screed. Okay. Uh, the fact that it's not that, and it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's one of these late, uh, late uh, examples of, a movie or TV show that is clearly familiar with alt-right Twitter discourse, reactionary discourse. The casting of Ryan Gosling as Ken is entirely dependent on your intertextual familiarity with his uh, image as an icon for alt-right incels. That's the joke. And uh, him making and, that Giga Chad pose. Yes, and that was that was part of the... It's it's also, like, all the Ken stuff is directly, like, Million Dollar Extreme World Peace, the, like, mail-order boyfriend sketch where Charles looks like uh, Ryan Gosling there, the blonde wig. That's what it is. That's what they're doing is Hollywood is trying to find ways to quietly escape the chains of wokeness. They're taking influence clearly from things like Red Scare, above all. Anytime anything is anti-woke, it becomes a massive hit because people can sense that it's real. So you have White Lotus. Uh, if it's not a hit, then everybody's talking about it like The Idol um this oh, oh, and by the way you were speaking with the creator of white lotus on your uh, wonderful podcast so be sure quick plug be sure to check out the perfume nationalist and uh, watch that episode it's really good but anyway yeah and and he explicitly yeah. named red scare as an influence on that like there's always like people who don't know what's going on that come in and think that like Hollywood and like Twitter are two totally self-contained things. And like nobody, no, Barbie is very, uh, Barbie's appeal is very dependent on its kind of like internet meme savvy sort of reactionary vibe uh, where it's uh, about gender discourse. Um, and it pads this with a lot of, all things to all people sort of like crowd safe uh icing okay so you can watch you can go to barbie you can watch barbie you can come away with the safe message that it's about being a girl boss and that men are bad that's the surface thing under the surface there's a lot more going on because it's really a vivid visualization of just how extremely entitled uh, and out to lunch women are in today's modern world where they have everything. They have Barbie world. They're the president. They're the CEO. They're whatever they want to be. But still, it's not enough, <laughs> you know? And um, But I, I think it's a phenomenal movie and it's a step in the right direction. And I think it's really cool that instead of just making a formulaic woke scold piece, which Chad, you had a great point that female roles in a uh, classic woke like peak 2016 hollywood product it's boring to watch because there's a set of rules that's very simple and it's that if something is a stereotype you do the opposite so it has no bearing in reality a woman can't show any vulnerability she can't be interested in romance she can't be feminine she has one expression and it's this harsh this harsh masculine kind of like durability and capability and it's like you can't tell me what to do 
Uh, you can't show women really screaming or being emotional. Like all today's action movies don't show women screaming um, because that makes them look feminine and reminds you that they're weaker. Uh, there's this kind of like, uh, it's un-PC to show actual physics of how women are smaller and weaker. So you just kind of have this rubbery CGI where they're they, just a rigged game and they always beat the man no matter what. Um, but Barbie deals with real things and it deals with real gender issues. And it also is, to my knowledge, the first big Hollywood movie in years to show anything resembling sympathy to men or show that the relentless onslaught of woke feminism and gender discourse has had contrary effects on men. So it's a smart, it's a very smart movie. Now, uh, Nina, even though you haven't seen it, you did do a lot of research on it. Do you agree with what uh, Chad and uh, Jack have to say about uh, Barbie? Well, I love Chad's Gilgamesh comparison. Uh, and when I do finally watch it, I will be thinking about that. Although I, I really think that the, the themes about, you know, mortality, uh, they're, they're so very primal that I could see them be, I could see that happening without any conscious, uh, connection to Gilgamesh on the part of the filmmakers, but just that they're both dealing with these this theme of mortality which is always it's always a great one <laughs> there, everybody's there, thinking about it well there is another esoteric take uh, that i have uh, concerning the barbie movie and mortality but before we get to that when it comes to the preachiness versus lack of preachiness in movies where would you say Barbie is? Because there are certain messages that are in there. For example, there was that preachy segment about how Barbie is the, uh, you know, like a fascist, uh, patriarchal uh, example from that little. But girl that character is repellent. You can't. Nobody's gonna watch this movie, especially not the cattle people at Walmart, and yeah. and be like, I so identify with the sour woke teen. No, it's this is like a mistake that people make in interpreting the. The Sex in the City uh, continuation, which is similarly kind of like covertly anti-woke, is that because they have these gender goblin characters voicing this grim communist ideology, that like that's not who you relate to. It makes them look bad. Like that that character is okay. Barbie includes because it's this massive big budget vehicle. It, it includes something for everyone. It it protects itself from any accusations of it being like right wing or not doing this or not doing that by including okay the latina family who identifies with the barbie and the daughter's a bitch who is woke and the mother's like sad and you know like it includes that so you know you can say you can point and go look this is not a right wing white movie look we have these boring latinas here over there nobody gives a fuck about them but they're there it you know, fills the movie with this bullshit, this stupid woke padding bullshit. But guess what? Guess what image you're left with, with fucking Barbie. That's the reason that everybody goes to see the movie. It's the towering, beautiful, white fascist faces of Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. It's the fucking Ubermensch. That's what people want. That's what they want the 80s. They want the vaporwave. They want the shallow. They want the thinness. They want the high heels. They don't want the fucking woke teenager who says, but Barbie's a fascist. They don't care. That's just something to appease critics. Wow. Uh, uh, Slay Queen. What could I say? Uh, okay. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> when okay, so when it comes to uh, the the uh, the whole death thing, I really like Chad's example of uh, Gilgamesh. Now I'm gonna throw in another one, which has to do with Shiva and Shakti. And curious, Chad, whether you would agree or not, that as soon as Barbie mentioned death and she was living in this you know perfect world of Barbie land, I started thinking about death as being like this ultimate masculine entity of Shiva, where in uh, Tantric um, Hinduism, you have Shiva, who is basically, from what I understand, he is the personification of destruction, death, nothingness. And then you have Shakti, which is the female energy, and that's the energy of Maya. That's the energy that kind of animates the universe. It basically fills up everything that's around us, and it kind of keeps us living in this reality. Now, I'm trying to see if there is a stronger connection to be made with that in Barbie. Chad, uh, what do you think? Well, Shiva has indeed been interpreted in those terms, even on an etymological level. Sadhguru claimed that um, Shiva could be interpreted as some Sanskrit pun <clears throat> meaning no thing. And the irony here is that what really is real is no thing because things as far as we're immersed in them in daily experience that's actually just maya that's a certain illusion right and the idea that you have a spiritual awakening when you realize that um the things of this world are not really real because some uh, force of destruction really is that's been compared to the double negation julius Savula wrote in um uh, metaphysics of war in one of the essays that the real point of the bhagavad-gita um, although that's narrated by Vishnu rather than Shiva, is um, when talking to the uh, warrior, Arjuna, who's about to fight not just against anonymous soldiers from another country he's never met, but rather against his own family, and thinks pathologically that that's unethical. I can fight people I don't know. I can't fight people I've loved in the past. Um, Vishnu tells him that what would really be unethical is being too cowardly to fight them because your insistence that I have to make an exception in this case because I know these people, they're my family. That's just another part of the illusion of Maya. What's really real beyond that is a destructive force. And this is in a time, by the way, um, in the world of tradition in which not everyone had immortality. Um, Joseph Ola noted that we take for granted today that everybody, when they die, within Christian tradition anyway, either goes to heaven or they go to hell. That's really not an idea from the ancient world of tradition. Immortality was only for those who've earned it. You'd Valhalla within Norse mythology. Well, there was That's reincarnation, only... so you could be born as something higher or lower, depending. Reincarnation's a curse. The, the point of Buddhism is to break the dreadful cycle of reincarnation. Sikhism also, the point of Sikhism is to escape the dreadful cycle of reincarnation, which is defined by karma, um, impersonal action from past lifetimes following you mysteriously into those subsequent lifetimes and causing you suffering in ways that you really cannot understand. A lot of um, the characters in the Ramayana and Mahabharata have hardships they have no idea the origin of, but because Vishnu is God, he sees the past lifetimes and knows the origin of these sufferings. So the goal of uh, Hinduism and Sikhism and Buddhism, all three of them, is to break that cycle, although by different means. And one of the ways, perhaps, to do that is to realize destruction, not as maybe the Western archetype of that which is 
supremely to be avoided, right? That's how we kind of think of destruction within the West, but rather maybe identifying with it. Now, the question whether that is what you have with the movie Barbie, I don't know. Well, she started in the end identifying with her mortality once she became a human being. So this wasn't something that she was running away before in this world of illusion. So in that way, you could say that she and Ken, uh, you know, talking about I am Ken, I am Ken, uh, ended up getting wiser in the end of the movie. I don't know, like, Jack, is this me reaching too much in the metaphysical gobbledygook? Or do you see, like, I don't know if uh, this kind of stuff is uh, something that you ever looked at, but as far as there being, like, this quality of ascendance in somebody who starts to understand their own mortality and grow from that, do you see some connection here? Uh, I didn't think overly much about the Barbie becoming aware of death stuff because it seemed like pretty standard growing up narrative material it's just like you grow up and you're no longer in barbie world and you have cellulite and you're you like i think less about that and i do think the movie gets a bit messy in the last like 20 minutes i think the the first like 75 percent of it is rock solid perfect and then that's when the padding and the sort of like quasi apologies to protect themselves come in where it's like you know the barbies have to retake the world from ken because you know the patriarchy is bad even though it just showed all the barbies liking patriarchy uh and liking the hot guys and the audience obviously likes the hot guys and likes the patriarchy um and then it you know devolves into this like you can be anything being barbie means just being yourself and you know like whatever like that's not the point of the movie the point of the movie is the first three quarters of it where it's a really solid narrative trembling forward of ken being an incel and barbie being a girl boss who is entitled to the entire world uh like that's the real stuff so you know in a movie this full of color and visuals and ideas i didn't hover too long on the the meaning of the you know your own mortality stuff well i think that that's kind of what makes it a good movie is that you have so many different things that people glean from it both on this very superficial uh, sheep layer like we were talking about earlier (laughs) as well as uh the layer that you were talking about and uh, the layer that chad and myself were also talking about like there's all kinds of ways of viewing this thing but uh, I don't know, like, Chad, as far as, and for Nina as well, even though you did not watch the movie yet, but I think you got a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Would you say that in your own lives, there has been more of a focus on the question of mortality and also the question of, like, when we're talking about the, the end of the Barbie movie, like, Barbie could be whatever you want to be. That's also, like, a question of humanity of, uh, you know, if I were to get a little bit more esoteric about it. Giorgiani, Jason Giorgiani, guest of the show, uh, uh, good guest of the show, he talks about how he does not like the word human being. He prefers the word hu- uh, human becoming, where, according to him, humans have this tendency, unlike all the other animals, and I agree with him here, to change into something from utilizing their own willpower while the animals are just like going through the cycles. And we could say, in a way, that a lot of humanity is also going through these cycles. But 
people do have the ability to get out of one cycle, get out of like one layer of Plato's cave and go into another one. Like for example, yourself, Jack, I think you are just like myself, very much influenced by high quality movies. And it's something that inspires you personally. I have not been a perfume person, but at the same time, I am very much into incense and some of my favorites include the uh, Young Living Frankincense. I don't know if you ever smelled that. It's like it has a very sweet smell to it. I mean, it's very nice. simple. Like it's like there was um, in your podcast about Salo when you were talking about this very almost hell-like perfume that's very old. Do you still have it, by the way? I do like still have some of that bottle that I bought so many years ago for that. I have a bit. And actually... Okay, you're talking about Norma Kamali Incense, which is this legendary, legendary, long discontinued, really stark, really scary incense fragrance. It's basically one aroma chemical, one ingredient called hydrocarbon resin, which you can order like from a, a perfume company. You can order the oil and it smells just like that incense. Just FYI. Wow. All right, there we go. Now, now I know because I do want to maybe put it in the air and then watch Sallow because I've never watched Sallow before. That's gonna be a good way to watch Sallow, I think. Just like so ha good, ha having that. Watch it there. while you can. <laughs> They're always coming for. I'm always waiting for the day when uh, you know, because it, its ubiquity is uh, kind of permitted by this completely ridiculous framing of like it's telling you that the Holocaust is bad. <laughs> like what is like, Sallow? Yeah. <laughs> what is you know, it? Like like all the like all the criterion like essays and everything are like so this movie is about how fascism is bad okay and like that's what we're learning from this well Jack, and no tell, what it actually is uh, is like child pornography and Ital classic oh, Italian uh... we got we got to watch it though this is the world of YouTube and we probably <laughs> have some kind of bots here that can uh, but anyway Jack can you tell Nina what exactly Salo is uh it's based on um. Marquis de it's based on the Marquis de Sade's 120 days of mm. Sodom, which is this like, okay. Yeah. yeah all right. His last book, which is like a list of ridiculous, elaborate tortures. It's like unfinished, but Pier Paolo Pasolini in the seventies um, made an adaptation of it that pretty much went further than any movie has ever gone, you know, and it's this very Baroque, arty thing of showing these various tortures and everything but it's very shocking now because you know it's all these italian teenagers who are like 15 and stuff and it's it's famous with horror fans as, as an extreme movie and um but they always have to you know kind of provide this like kind of uh educational defense uh that it's it's showing you how nazis are bad so okay great Hey, do do movies have a future, do you think? Like movies used to take such a they used to have such a privileged place. They were really hard to make. It took a lot of skill and money and technology to make them. And now the tools are available to everyone. They're ubiquitous. There's more stuff on YouTube than anybody could watch. And uh now even with AI tools, it's like all kinds of fabulous animation can be made with great ease. Uh so I guess I asked this question because some people are asking me, oh, are you going to make another movie? Oh boy, oh boy, make another movie. And I'm just like, well, why? I mean, everybody can make a movie now. When I was making movies, it, 
you know, when I made Sita, it was more meaningful, but I don't have, it's like, I don't really think movies are the thing. They're not a special thing anymore. There's a zillion of them. I think they're going away. I, or like, okay, I have several thoughts. I do think that things are getting better after the the woke censorship haze code of the last half decade. I think that there are more good movies, uh, at least trying to be ideologically free in the last like year or two, especially. Um, but in terms of will people go to a theater to see an R-rated adult drama, a realistic adult drama, no, that's going away. The theater exists, but it's for these big event things, not all of which are bad, but most of which are bad. That's been true for well over 10 years. Yeah. That, movie, that theaters are for just for blockbusters. I, th I think the, the biggest problem now is this refusal to make content f for or about adults. Everything is this in this permanent, like kind of Peter Pan childish state. Uh, so there's this preoccupation with horror now because horror is fantasy. So it's safe. So horror is the dominant genre right now. I, I uh, predict, but by but the a way, movie is... like you know like Kramer versus Kramer or something that's just about like grownups <laughs> that doesn't exist now. Well, I predict that in the future we're gonna have Peekaboo the movie. That's gonna be the uh, <laughs> the the reigning uh, Oscar winner. Like Peekaboo, uh, yeah, like Pikachu. No, Peekaboo is like doing this. Oh, that, just, that's, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Okay. But will it be the be... horror genre? Yeah, right. so like there's, there's a well, that is like this everything goes black. Well, that is the horror genre because like the surprise that's gonna be the level of horror <laughs> that uh, adults are going Mommy to be disappeared. Where did she know? <laughs> and they're all gonna be like wearing diapers by that point anyway. They're all gonna be obese. They're gonna be wearing diapers. I mean, they're not even going to go to the movie theater because movie theaters will be extinct. They'll have the Neuralink Hololens. Uh, hooked up to their brain, so they're just gonna see like this peekaboo thing, and they're just gonna be in this state, and that's gonna be humanity. That's gonna be the uh, Kali Yuga Age of Aquarius. But then there's gonna be like a few of us who are going to be like doing meditation, and we are going to go within, and we're gonna figure out a way to like obtain seedies. And Chad, you are in the belly of the beast. You are in the belly of Kali in India. Tell me. Are Seedhees real? Can we obtain Seedhees? I know that's not the goal, but it still seems kind of like fun. Like I was reading this book, Agora, uh, which I highly recommend. Like uh, Jack, I don't know if you are also into, uh, let's say, scarier things. We were talking about horror before. This is a very scary book. It's about these uh, ascetics in India who do things like they would meditate on top of a dead body. And they would do that in the cremation grounds. They would constantly be around death. And the reason why they do that, from what I uh, have read, is because being around death makes them less attached to the cycle of life. But as a result of that, they end up meeting these various entities like um, Tara and Kali. And they end up getting superpowers, apparently. Unless this whole thing is just a bunch of lies... Chad, is there something to this? Is there something to these seed he's, these powers? 
Well, there was a man in my own village, a friend of mine, who claimed that he had himself absorbed one of these spirits. Um, it was a incident in which um, after much of the meditation religious practice that you've been mentioning, um, he had a flash of light in the room and one of these spirits was interiorized and it gave him certain powers. He knew certain things about people intuitively, certain things he, he was able to correctly uh, know certain things about my own past in America that I never told because he'd been given this intuitive power. So there's this, um, there's this formula that John Michael Greer uses within magic, which is TSRW. This stuff really works. And say what you will about maybe the explanation for it. I think that on a practical level, you can see the fruits of these results. The reason you don't see that in the West is because the very context in which you could do the practice without the question of the explanation of how is largely disappeared. Um, one of my um, friends from Nepal living in New York, who uh, is a practicing Hindu, has lamented, I'm just taking his word for it, that um, the even the temples in, um, he's, he's both a Buddhist and a Hindu, um, even the temples in New York, he said, are largely at this point just absorbed into the pro-technical thing, maybe because many of the workers, maybe, maybe the uh, attendants are themselves working in tech industry. I don't know. I'm only going on his word, but he's he was making it sound as though even if you go to temple in a place like New York, you're not necessarily going to have a context there as free from technological meditation as would ideally be the case. Wait, what's technological meditation? Uh, technological uh, mediation, technological interference. There is no technological meditation. That's a contradiction oh, yeah. in terms. Wait, so we're talking uh -huh. about like Wi-Fi and things like that. What exactly it's, do you mean? Well, he means the ideology. The idea you won't find challenges to technological progress talked about in such places. Perhaps because many of the workers there, the, many of the attendants, are themselves working within industry. Whatever the explanation might be, I'm only going on what he said. He was lamenting that you're not going to as much find an alternative to technological interference, even if you go to those places, which are supposed to be explicitly spiritual releases from the illusion of Maya, which modern technology is, of course, the worst example of. Very interesting. I mean, for somebody like yourself, Jack, and for somebody like yourself, uh, Nina, you guys are aficionados of the beautiful things in life. Like, you both have tremendous tastes, as well as yourself, uh, Chad. But, Chad, like, you are more into the philosophy and the spirituality, things of that nature. You guys are more into the arts. So, when it comes to this age that we're entering into right now, according to what we talked about, where we are going to have Peekaboo the movie, and we are going to have a majority of people who are going to be completely disconnected from reality, no matter how many good movies come around or TV shows like White Lotus eventually, if that does go away, I don't know. Like, do you guys, do you guys imagine just sitting somewhere with your collection of like the greatest works of art that have ever been created? And just <laughs> that, that, that is how you will, uh, you know, uh, finish up the journey here. Or do you want to start seeing what else could possibly be done here of this uh, seed heat type we were talking about earlier? Nina, go first. Have you ever meditated for seven hours in a day? Not seven hours yet. Uh, I'd say maybe two hours. You have, okay. I take it. Well, these 100-mile bike rides that I take, 
I, I can't really deal with sitting meditation, but a long bike ride, I think, serves that purpose for me. So now you know why I do these crazy long bike rides. And I why really you have so much energy afterwards. People were asking, like, how do you have all this energy? I don't I don't have energy afterwards. I don't. I'm a wreck afterwards, but I love it. I just love it. It's like just there's nothing in my I mean, there's there's thoughts in my mind, but they can't hurt me. <laughs> and uh it's really the only way that I can uh clean out my my mind and that's i mean that's not super uncommon and it's also good for my physical fitness my health overall in yeah. the winter i hibernate this i can only do this in the summer and mm -hmm. the fall you know like warm weather um but that's what i do obviously i'm i'm using long bike rides to get through life <laughs> Well, the uh, the health benefits and all that, that is uh, definitely noticeable on you, Nina. Like, I don't know how old you are, but you have the energy of, a, like, a 30-year-old, I'd say. Well, I don't really have that energy, but thank you. That, that That's what it seems like to me. But, and in uh, the winter, yeah. in the winter, I, I look different, and I feel different, and I gain 10 or 20 pounds because I'm, you know, just not burning up calories. But I make art in the winter. I'm just a bear. I hibernate and that's art time. That's like the inward yeah. art time. And then spring start bicycling again and get in shape again. And then yeah. it's just cycles. Well, uh, speaking of bears, Jack, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had to throw that one in there. Uh, so how, how do you uh, deal with, what is potentially coming up right now like you have a really successful podcast and you get to talk with all these interesting people that seems to be a good way of going about things but would you ever want to pick up any new things like meditation or like bike riding or something that can make this time on earth even better than it already is for you you're telling me to ride bikes a hundred miles. You have to do it a hundred miles in uh, one day. I mean, I go, I go for a walk. I go for walks. You know, that's classical. Good. Okay. Yeah. People don't do that these days. Wait, I thought we were talking about like the future of art. Now it's about walks and yes. It's about how do you how do you deal with this yeah. horrendous world? For, I mean, I'm fundamentally optimistic. I I pray. I have a very loose, you know you know kind of uh protestant christian outlook um i pray for guidance uh, and i always tell the truth um and everything seems to work out and uh you know as far as like the the future of art or holding up with the great works against nature style um i don't think too much about it i mean just most people's perspective and worldview now is so incredibly narrow after the last decade of ideological conditioning that there's just an entire world of beautiful truth there uh ripe for the picking um and it hasn't even occurred to most people to even do things like 
read fiction, read popular fiction from 30 years ago or more. It's just everybody's very stuck in their little routine of uh, consuming mediocre kind of woke ideology content, maybe being outraged about that on the internet and not knowing what to do about it. There's just a whole world of things to expose yourself to and hopefully new art and new ideas can be creative and we're we will get out of this cycle of regurgitating and recycling existing intellectual properties but you can't do that under woke liberalism because woke liberalism is about a denial of truth and a fundamental denial of of uh objective reality so people have to free themselves from that and you also have to um frankly not answer to any liberals in your life which is really hard for most people uh you can't afford to have them in your life because they'll always win um I'm did you come did you come oh, from the, the tribe of liberal jack like no did you, did i was never a liberal i mean i i voted uh when i was you know 19 or whatever i voted for obama like everyone did but that was a different that that time had nothing to do with <laughs> with today it was just a different no, well, what, would you say symbol. that you have certain values that would have traditionally been called liberal values? Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole, like, just standing up for free speech and being against censorship has now become this, like, de facto, like, right-wing conservative value, which is ridiculous, but I consider myself to be very, like, 60s hippy dippy mind expansion about most of this this stuff um my thoughts on uh so, so you, you know i'm not like that's like sexually conservative in this way that today's conservatards are you know the straight people be freaking out about yeah mostly uh, they doth protest too much when it comes yeah to straight people be getting mad about sex stuff every day and i like largely don't care i'm not like rabidly anti-abortion or anything either I have, I'm, I, I would consider myself a feminist in most aspects. Um, so yeah, I, you know, being like a, being like a regular liberal from like 10 years ago is, it now forces you to, you know, brand yourself as this like alt-right guy goes on YouTube and demolishes stuff with facts and logic. And that's like retarded. That's not what I am. I just, I've stayed the same. It's the pictures that have gotten smaller. I've been, you know, I've stayed the same. I've said the same fucking things my entire life. It's everybody else who, who was such a coward and so dependent on the approval of the little communists in their life that they changed. And um, I don't know. I'm fundamentally optimistic. I think Nina and uh, probably Chad as well, but I definitely know Nina's in the same boat. You have not really changed that much when it comes to your positions, but everything around you, including the animation community, uh, has... I don't know. I mean, are you still in good relations with some people from that whole uh, sphere? Because, Jack, just so you know, and uh, Chad, Nina and I go back to 2004. That's when mm. I first met Nina at an animation event in New York City with Bill Plimpton and Patrick Smith and all these really cool cats, you know, and they're all still cool, but other people are not. So it makes me think because of Nina's stance uh, as a turf, whether the 
modern animation community would welcome somebody like Nina or would welcome somebody like yourself, Jack, and yourself, Chad. Like, uh, that's what I'm still trying to figure out right now because, like you said about Hollywood, that they are aware of certain things that go on, uh, some people at least, like I'm sure Greta, as we were talking about, and, uh, you know, White Lotus, but as far as the general tendency of people in the public sphere to denounce certain things that must be denounced, that's still going to be pretty strong. And, like, Nina... Do you do you agree about the animation world not being as welcoming right now, or do you think that that's uh, like an? It's not so much the animation world; it's more just like some super loud people that are forcing everybody else to shut up. It's it's film in general. I mean, I am technically a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I'm a member emeritus because living in Urbana, Illinois paying my membership fee will not get me any tasty benefits like screenings with snacks. So I don't pay the membership fee, which means I can't vote, but I, they do send me emails from time to time. And it's just like this, this is uh, like Jack would have a field day with this. This is just Hollywood nonsense. You know, <laughs> like this is the whole industry is just, you know, it's pronoun land and, ideas about diversity that are not helpful. Um, I mean, I do like the idea of real diversity, but that's not what they're going for. Uh, so yeah, it's the movie industry overall. Um, there are only a few people that actively targeted me and spread lies about me, but there's tons of other people that just go along with it. There's tons of other people that do nothing when the scapegoat, is being scapegoated or, or, or when the witch is being burned. I love so, that comment, nope. by the way. I don't remember who did it, but the witch is being burned. And then the guy who's like uh, setting the fires whispers to her and says, I'm secretly on your side. I agree with what you're saying. That's right. I agree with you 100% yeah, sure. while they're lighting the fire <laughs> underneath. Um, so people are very cowardly. Uh, and this is the big issue of my life right now is... Uh, how do I live in this world where I know what people people are worse, even worse than I thought they were and I was not a big fan of people before but now I'm just like okay this is human nature bad thing happened to me, I'm aware of all these bad things happening to other people too but I care about it more when it happens to me but I know there's all kinds of bad stuff and how do I live in the world when you know, mobs have gone after me and where so many people have displayed so much cowardice, including people that I really cared about and used to respect. And I don't know, but this is the, I used to say that, you know, the, the trauma that caused me to make Sita Sings the Blues being dumped by my husband by email while he was in India and I was in New York. I said that was the defining trauma of my adult life, but that was prior to being canceled. And that is the defining trauma of my last eight years. And I, I need to find a way to trust people. I need to function. So I don't really know what I'm going to do about it. The good news, uh, like, I don't think the, the nasty people and the cowards are ever going to change, but 
there are so many more people who are fed up. Like there's more and more people that have been canceled and there's more and more people that have been called names and more and more people that have been told that they're hateful bigots when they are anything, but there's more and more people that are called Nazis who like me are Jewish. It's like, please don't call us. <laughs> like just, that's just not right. Um, and uh, there's just so many now that even though there aren't that many people standing up, there are more people just like stepping away, just and there's enough people like that that to support people like me. Because there was a while where it was scary. Um, and I, I like lost all this support. But now there's like enough people that are actually, they're just like, oh, this, this woman's been canceled. I'm going to go support her because this is messed up and I'm sick of this. And I don't know when everybody else is going to mm -hmm. wise up and stop this bullshit. But the balance of things is changing. Well, there are people like J.K. Rowling, for instance, who I think do act as a sort of anchor in this eye of the storm to get people like yourself and other people to uh, not be besmirched by people who are not worth uh, any second thought. Like especially no, but the, they don't just yeah. besmirch J.K. Rowling. They have no shame. There is like no end. The lies that they say about J.K. Rowling are ridiculous, and they they insist on it. They just like there's there's zero evidence there's only evidence to the contrary but these people yeah, but just keep fuck them but fuck them like if yeah. there is enough fuck you money out there for jk rowling and other people who can support people like her and like you like i don't know jack do you see kind of like a ending this on a silver lining type of note do you see there being this eye of the storm of people regardless of their political beliefs that they are able to come together because they were persecuted in some way or know people who were persecuted. And those are the people who say, you know what? I've had enough. I am going to support good art. I'm going to establish friendships with people who also believe in the freedom of, to express yourself. And collectively, there may be enough funds, enough, I don't know, private uh, contractor, uh, security contractors, I don't know, something to actually build up a defense against these uh you know borgs that are possibly coming who after they right. watched peekaboo the movie are just going <laughs> to be a uh, program to you know like go and like raid people's houses you know they yeah well I don't know. you have to create your own world i mean i had to create my own world and let them come to me and uh one of the if you want to see the silver lining one of the positives of being uh, canceled uh, or piled on or, you know, experiencing a witch burning is that at least in me, it created this enormous drive and this energy to win, <laughs> to prove them wrong. And I did. So, <laughs> you know, it's just like the more hated you are, you can use that as fuel to uh, just keep winning. It just requires, um, Going through this cultural moment uh, requires extreme emotional stamina and you have to learn how to manage it, especially if you're uh, doing something on Twitter or in the on these online spheres where you just are faced with just tides of 
cruelty about yourself like you've never seen. Um, you have to get used to it. You have to move on. You have to learn that you're not going to please those people. You have to create your own world and let people come to you. And they will see that fundamental honesty and good people will come to you. You have to create your own networks. I think a lot of kind of more lefty people uh, that have sort of hitched their wagon to this anti-woke moment, they might have tasted a little bit of success through the old systems and they're very bitter about uh, not having that. I never had that and everything that I created came after becoming a pariah and all of the liberals that I knew stopped talking to me. So I didn't have to answer to them. My advice is you can't have liberals in your personal life that you have to answer to because they will wield that as power and you will always be disappointed. You will always be disappointed even if even if uh, they like being around you kind of slumming because they can say naughty things around you. They will draw the line at some point and assert that they are good, you are bad. So you've got to really get a hold on who you keep around you and know that they're actually fighting the good fight. But you have to create your own world outside of the need for liberal or institutional approval. And a lot of people, a growing number of people, want to see that, want to see creativity, freedom of speech, uh, laughter, fun, art, want to fight against censorship. There's all of this going on right now. You just, it's, it's, uh, you're not going to just find similar minded friends from like going to a bar or something anymore. You have to go on the internet. No one does go to yeah. a bar. <laughs> no, I went to a bar recently. I had a shot of uh, whiskey or two shots of whiskey, and I just started making random conversations with people. It was a lot of fun. But at the same time, I could tell how different that society was. Like, it was just like these dudes, and they were really good dudes. But they were just, you know, they go to work, and then they go to this bar, and it's like, all right, like, there's okay, what, what can we talk about, you know? Like, I'm sure maybe there are certain things, but I understand what you mean about, like, this community that kind of knows the memes, knows certain things that people have gone through here. But like yeah. Nina said, the more people are canceled, the more empathy and understanding there is about that because it's just about happened to everyone who is any kind of public figure at this point, and you truly don't understand how bad it is until it happens to you, you know, like Lady Gaga song, until it happens to you. But truly, I mean, like, if it's never happened to you and you don't have to see it, then you just think, oh, why don't you just not look at it? Oh, why don't you just, like, not let it bother? Like, no, yeah. it's different when it happens to you and you understand when other people experience it. If you and then that poor actress. So then I think about the yeah. poor yeah. act, 22-year-old actress who's having to deal with all <laughs> yeah. this and is, like, unprepared for it. Yeah, I she can't she be has, prepared mm -hmm. for it. I hope she has a good life, but the problem is that kind of going back to what we said before about the uh, teenage girls' society being built around pleasing them and uplifting them, it seems like with all the uplifting, uh, there was a study recently that was uh, talking about the very high rates of suicides among these same teenage girls. And it's almost like the more of this... Uh, 
feel good, you know, you go girl energy is there, the more it, it, it's almost like an addiction in a way, isn't it? Like the more of that is brought to you, the more of it you wanted. And as soon as something goes wrong, then your entire house of cards tumbles down. And that is like a very uh, anti anti-fragile approach, if you will, right? Like, how exactly can we make it better? I mean, we probably can't unless we're talking about, like, a small group of people who are within our lives. That's the only thing that we can control. I just had a weird thought, yeah. and I'm talking out my ass right now. But I do wonder if what we call cancel culture represents a particularly feminine form of aggression, I mean, Me Too was the original one, right? Me Too, and it it seemed like, you know, initially I was like, oh, this is good, I think, you know, call these men out. But then it was like, no, something's not right about this. It was the first, like, really big online mob thing. And, you know, in my cancel thing, in, in the world of gender bullshit, women are very involved on both sides. They're very, uh, the, the handmaidens, <laughs> as we call them, the, the trans activists supporting women are very vocal and active. And also the women that are saying no, like me, are also. But it's like, I think there's maybe even more women involved overall. Women are just very active in it. And I'm just wondering, you know, like female aggression is a bit different than male aggression, as it has to be, because we don't have the upper body strength of men. Well, so men you can don't just need punch each other. You don't need that online. You don't need that on the Internet. You don't. You don't need it online. But there are still like this, this sort of behavior, I think, again, talking out my butt. So it's good that you're arguing. I just want to finish shitting out this ill-formed thought. Uh but women do girls like high school girls, mean girls, mean girls gang up on other girls, spread rumors. They do a lot of they're like expert uh, reputation assassins. And I just wonder if this is somehow related to that. Not saying men don't do it. Men totally do it. There's, and, you know, like the patterns in my town when I was canceled in my town, uh, like a lot of the most psychotic actors were men. There were just a few of them. And then there were like a lot of women supporting them or they were doing it with the support of mm -hmm. women. They were sort of like leaders of I don't know. It's well, actually adding to that, Jack. Would you say that would also apply to gay men? Again, not to stereotype, but in general, like, is there uh, some kind of quality that Nina's talking about here? Gays love, much as women love to join in on the pylon on another woman, uh, another woman, gays love to join in on a pylon on another gay, um, because gays are always envious of whichever gay got the spotlight, which they uh, think that they are entitled to. But... I've always this something that I've always thought about um, online uh, cancel culture and pylons and witch burnings and whatnot. Uh, 
uh, and that I get made fun of for saying a lot is that I think that it's a, it's an explicitly sexual urge. I think it's a sublimated kind of sexual gang rape kind of urge because a lot of it that you see from transgenders is from people with no like literal physical kind of sexual outlet. Okay, like all like external exercise of sexual impulses has been stigmatized and sort of banned. So you have this little, you know, uh, neuromancer world on the internet. And there is this enormous kind of quasi-sexual thrill in these morality pylons where it's like, I have, I'm morally correct, so I have license to do whatever I want to do. No limit, you know? Just a thought. I've always Wait, called you, it spectral rape. Spectral Because it's like being raped by rape. ghosts. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like being raped by a bunch of ghosts. Oh. That's And this is explicitly a part of transgender online culture. Is it's built into it, you know? Yeah. The, the, the kind of policing and the pylons and like, you know, they're in the group chats and they're like selecting targets and they say, go after them. It's built into it. I know, Chad, I mean, we're going to end this for right now, but any thoughts on this uh, spectral rape? I mean, I know, like, in uh, the going back to... <laughs> I've been spectrally raped. I've been spectrally good, raped. Look, a I'm a survivor. Yeah, I'm a survivor, yeah. too, of spectral I mean, rape. Only thing I could think of as far as a connection, like, with the Agoris, you know, I'm sure that they have visits from various ghosts that actually do spectrally rape them quite literally. I don't know. <laughs> Don't, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, that is kind of being possessed, right? Like, and you could say that the people who are on the internet, they are also being possessed by a kind of hauntology, by a kind of spirit that makes them want to gang up on people. So I don't know. I'm trying to. Put wait, wait, these before, wait, before, yeah. before Chad responds, I have another <laughs> thought about like masculinity. <laughs> so maybe we could look at. Sorry, I'm I'm channeling my inner uh, incel here. Maybe the internet is like totally demasculinizing men, right? Because there's so much about young men, especially they have these young bodies that can be very strong, right? Like as Anna Slat says, men long for the mines. You know, labor, working, using those bodies. Yeah, like and... Ken was doing in the Bart movie, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the internet, just like everybody's sort of disembodied on the internet and dissociated from their bodies. And women are naturally somewhat weaker than men, so women do less of that. Of course, we're we're embodied also, but women have these have these less physical strategies uh for coping but you know men are just eh, this is an ill-formed thought but men like maybe there is like people talk about like oh the feminization of men you know like it's because of these feminists they're all trying to control men and feminize men and it's like maybe it's not the feminists maybe it's technology maybe it's maybe it's like a lot of social factors and this is like a consequence of it well, Chad, you're the technology expert here. What say you? If you think about the problem of people becoming nastier online than they ever could be in a more face-to-face -face context, you know, back in the um, days of hunter-gatherers, the only way you could communicate um, was face-to-face, -face, okay? And um, the psychologists to this day 
can measure the signal in terms of its expense. So whereas a face-to-face -face communication entails a high cost because of the physical proximity, the risk for being punched if you, you know, overstep a certain limit, um, uh, an online uh, form of communication like Twitter is a cheap signal. It doesn't cost you much to send it. It's effortless. You just get your, you know, 150 characters. It's short. You just hit um, send on your smartphone and it's, it's uh, reached its recipient. And you don't have to have physical proximity where you feel like the kind of risk of anything negative coming back to you is real enough as it would have been in the hunter-gatherer worldview, or even um, more recently than that, sending a letter in the mail was a more expensive signal to send because you had to pay for the stamp. You had to physically write the thing out and put it in the mailbox. So as the signal has become cheaper, it's allowed us to become nastier, but it's more than just that. It's also the problem of technology resulting in very different kinds of <clears throat> consequences than even the uh, most intelligent people who designed it could have envisioned. This is something you find in Ted Kaczynski's uh, first chapter of Anti-Tech Revolution, Why and How. It's titled, Why a Complex um, Human Society Can Never Be Steered, even by people who seem to have um, the power to do so. Presidents, prime ministers, um, the, the um, head of the Fed. All of these people might have, in a certain sense, the ability to push through a big change, but they're powerless to have that change result in the kinds of things they envisioned. A great example of this cited by Kaczynski himself is in the 18th century, Enlightenment thinkers figured that the result of automation would be a society of Mozarts and Shakespeare's. The only reason they theorize is that more people couldn't learn to compose classical music or write great poetry or to do painting on the scale of like a Raphael or a Michelangelo is that obviously the masses are burdened with all of this um, boring physical labor that has to be done on a daily basis just to meet very basic survival needs. In the time of Jesus, uh, women spent three hours every day grinding grain just to be able to make bread the next day. So these intellectuals assumed because they'd obviously been given some sort of privilege to not have to do as much physical labor as their uh, physical labor as their peers had to do. They figured if you extended that to everyone, of course you would have a society filled with geniuses. Of course, we got the exact opposite. The paradox is that having nothing to do all day made people less capable of thinking and less interested in intellectual activities. You couldn't force most people today to go through the trouble of learning the kind of technical music theory that you would need to begin. Um, playing Mozart or Beethoven, let alone composing like them. It takes hours and hours of um, of a kind of intellectual work, which they're simply not suited for. Alexander Bard, the great Swedish uh, contemporary philosopher, and said, we don't live in the era of... Yes, a, a great thinker of our era um, noted in his book, um, Digital Libido, this isn't the era of capitalism. This is the era of attentionalism, because in the era of material abundance we're living in, the, the scarcest thing is simply attention. And the irony of the internet, we were talking earlier about the future of art. Um, the irony is that um, you have an enormous um, archive that has seemed to have um, fulfilled the technical function of preserving all this art. You have access on archive.org to um, long since out of print books on a wide variety of topics. I'm, over the past few months, I read four books on the Sumerian language for free from archive. These are old scholarly texts from various university libraries from 100 years ago. You can learn Sumerian and um, Akkadian, Babylonian, Egyptian, all of the materials there for free. The problem is if you remain connected to the internet, 
you can and you can't use it. The same thing that gives you this archive of information is the same thing that makes it impossible to sit through all the hours needed to learn a language like Sumerian or Babylonian because it's just so much easier to jump on Twitter and see what was just tweeted about. And that's the difficulty here is um, you have the big change go through, which is, um, in that case, the archive that saved all these materials that otherwise would have been inaccessible, but with the unexpected side effect that it also destroys your attention span to the point that you can't use it as intended. And with social media, to bring it back to this, um, we had the technology to connect the world. And um, Mark Zuckerberg, in one um, infamously uh, stupid um, interview with CNL's, uh, CNN's Laurie Segal, said that the purpose of Facebook was to connect the world to be able to solve problems that were too difficult for any one person, not about cancer. is a problem which no individual is smart enough to solve. But if we connect the whole world, we can have a cure for cancer appear in somebody's status update. Well, the um, problem with this is that the unexpected side effect of connecting the world technologically was it made it easier than ever before to send those cheap signals with no risk of consequences. And it also made it easier than ever before to become a literal psychopath, the kind of person who could inflict the kind of torture on others precisely because they couldn't see their face. It was proven by psychologists that a lot of trolling is allowed to, it's enabled to reach psychopathic levels precisely because the hunter-gatherer instincts built into face-to-face -face communication that would lead you to feel empathy have been canceled out. So you have the big change once again, which is the internet, but with the exact opposite side effect than even the seemingly most intelligent people who designed it could have imagined. Damn, once again, this is definitely going to be a stream that I'm going to be extracting a hell of a lot of shorts from because all of you guys, you are on fire. You've been on fire this entire time, despite how late it is. I mean, Jack, I don't know what time it is for you. I mean, Chad, it's the morning. The birds are chirping, and uh, it's good to be uh, here in India. I hope to visit one day. Uh, you've been telling us lots of lovely things about it and the people and how you can get like a tailor locally without having to buy like all of this Wal Walmart crap. So yeah, like for just uh, a few dollars, it, yeah, it's amazing it's how many things you can get here for just a few dollars or less. And the food, food, the food mm -hmm. is so good in Kerala. Oh man. <laughs> oh man, I'm coming. Just... Jack, Jack, you're coming with us, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, you know, I love that Indian perfume culture. Yeah, they, they're really good when it comes to the incense and all that. So mm -hmm. listen, guys, thank you so much for this amazing stream. I always appreciate all of you guys being here. Jack, this is your second time on BTR. Always great to have you. I would love to have you back. And of course, same thing with Nina and Chad. Well, Chad, we're going to be on with Jason Giorgiani soon. Uh, that's going to be happening. Just a small announcement. Next week, we are going to have, as I mentioned before, meme analysis coming back to btr he hasn't been here in a long while met him at a party recently and uh, we are going to be talking about the whole uh uh age of aquarius what exactly is going to be happening there so very interesting episode and i think gnostic informant is going to be there as well as my uh i don't know if you guys are into astrology are you guys into astrology i'm not a little bit we're going to have my friend Michael Scotto, the master astrologer. He's going to be back, and this is going to be at 9 p.m. again, late stream. And he's going to be taking all of your astrological readings in terms of the Super Chat auction. 
So whoever gives the most in super chats ends up being the first uh, for the reading. And like the runners up, he's going to do them afterwards, you know, within like a certain amount. So we're gonna we're gonna get to everybody. Don't worry. And uh, also Patreon.com/slash/BreakTheRules. Listen, guys, we're finally gonna have the first Patreon exclusive stream in a long while with Dodge Landisman. And I want to make this announcement right now because this is a very interesting dude. I've known Dodge uh, not as long as I've known Nina, but I've known him uh, since like the early 2010s. And uh, he's a very interesting dude who was an Arizona news anchor who was fired after Scientologists complained about the Lisa Marie Presley coverage he was doing where he was planning a takedown of the religion uh, where she was planning a takedown of the religion before her death. So, uh, um, he claims that Presley was on the precipice of testifying for the prosecution and the rape trial of actor and Scientologist Danny Masterson. And, uh, after that, uh, his station fired him and then he went into another media thing, but they also didn't really want to touch the Scientology story. So guess what? We're touching it on Patreon, patreon.com slash break the rules. And I welcome all the patrons who become patrons to uh, join in the discussion. It's like a free for all. You guys come in there, ask Dodge whatever questions you want. And uh, yeah, patreon.com slash break the rules. Also subscribe to my Substack, which is Lev's lens.com i write about all kinds of interesting stuff culture politics all kinds of very interesting things so subscribe to that and finally you guys what do you have cooking in your kitchen let's start with jack the perfume nationalist um i am at patreon.com slash perfume nationalist i'm churning out episodes every week there's tons of free ones on apple podcasts for you to hear what it's all about um but yeah what's uh i don't know i'm doing um book clubs now i'm doing bi-monthly book clubs i just did one on larry mcmurtry's terms of endearment and next i'm doing uh tom wolf's bonfire of the vanities and the last one was really fun nice and uh, the Chad, Chad, hey, what do you got coming up, brother, and where can we find you? So uh, I can be found on YouTube channel is uh, Chad A. Hague Philosophy Channel. Also, Patreon, we have the School of Forbidden Texts, in which the latest request from Patreon for a big series I've been preparing for is on mecha anime from an anti-technological perspective but the surprising thing i found the more i've studied mecha as something distinctly japanese rather than american is that it's not something actually which you can just dismiss as the illusion of modern technology being under human control this is how i viewed mecha admittedly a few years back under the influence of kaczynski at all well maybe from a western perspective but because of its context in especially Japanese Shinto thought, there's actually a lot more to anime than that. And because it cannot just be dismissed as the negative sort of technology, and and yet it's also something which you can bring into dialogue with things like deep ecology. It's a really exciting series. I'm I'm having a lot of fun preparing for it. And um, I I really um, am looking forward to the discussion about this that'll, that'll follow. I almost imagine, by the way, that the mechas are like pregnant with the inner child of the pilots inside. 
and how there's like a layering approach to this. Another way of thinking about it is like we were talking with Hinduism, the idea of there being like the self, the Atman inside of you, and that is like the collective unconscious of like all of your past lives but even that is connected to the collective unconscious of everything and so in a way that pilot is like the atman of this outer layer that has to participate in these bloody uh, wars that are going on with these giant husks these giant machines and that's just like another external layer of this skin this animal-like skin of this fighting but then inside is like more sophisticated and inside of that it's more sophisticated like a matroshka doll of various layers of the uh the realms like the physical realm the astral realm anyway that's my take on it i don't know if it's uh close to what you're getting uh there uh chad but i can't wait to uh i can't wait to watch that should be very interesting yeah, so another in a way book club now nina wait wait so you have you have like the big robot and inside yeah. the big robot is the person and then inside the person is the homunculus right yeah, well, and then inside the homunculus yeah. Well, and if way, I may say yeah, so, uh, sure, for the yeah. Japanese, for the Japanese, the robot also has a kami, because the kami or the spirits are not just within humans. That's the Christian view, and mm. not even just within animals or plants. The kami are in everything, including sites like mountains or mm. natural Rivers. forces like the wind. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, like in all Spirited right. Away, there was that river spirit, and yeah. uh, it wanted a bath and all that. Yeah, so yeah, I'm very interested in the Shintoism, but uh, Nina. You have a card collection, and you're doing a new edition right now, and you have a, uh, a thing on your website where people can submit who they want to see in the newer uh, cards. But tell yes. us about this card collection first, for those who don't know. The Gender Wars playing cards. I wish I had an open deck with me, but I'd have uh, to go into another room to get it. Um, oh man, I can go I, in another I, room and you go talk into another room. I, I want people to see this deck. All right, so, talk among yourselves. Okay, while Nina is going to get her deck, because uh, trust me, it is well worth it, I uh, <laughs> just want to uh, say a couple of more things. Number one, if you guys have not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing right now, subscribe to BreakTheRules.tv, subscribe to the YouTube, and subscribe to Jack and Chad Haig. These are two very interesting people who I would definitely love to have on more. And uh, I don't know, like, here we go. Nina's back with the cards. So, All right. Um, These are the gender wars <laughs> playing cards. These are the, the backs. And uh, let's see. Uh, I'll just pulling them out at random. Here we have Chase Strangio of the ACLU setting fire <laughs> to a book. Ah, Leah Thomas. That's Riley Gaines standing behind him. Here's Kelly J. Keen getting tomato juice dumped on her. This is a, a Canadian heroine, uh, Amy Eileen Ham. And there's a page where you can look all of them up. Oh, we have Dave Chappelle, brave <laughs> gender warrior, Jazz Jennings, poor Jazz <laughs> Jennings. <laughs> Very sad. Anyway, there's just a whole there's there's 54 cards here, and every single one has a different gender. Oh wow, my my Helen Joyce card is signed. Look at that. I saw Helen wow. Joyce. I attended a conference, and she was at it, and she signed my Helen Joyce card. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I have these, and uh, here we go. You can 
you can get them at store.ninapaley.com. That's store.ninapaley.com, along with lots of other merch, because I finally made my own store, which will not be canceled unless they go full anti-Kiwi farms on me and start uh, making upstream providers cancel me. But as a platform, hopefully yeah. it won't be canceled. But, you know, they can... They can get me booted off my host or get other services. And I'm still doing the Hetero Dorks podcast with yes. Corinna Cohn. And we had a couple episodes ago, we interviewed Josh Moon of Kiwi Farms. Whoa. And it's a very important episode where he really lays out how, how the internet got broken, really, on his behalf. I mean, not he didn't want it to be, but all these people, he he bothered people enough so that they are actually willing to break the internet. So, wow, it's yeah, a good listen. I mean, speaking of Kiwi Farms, Nina, you know who I put in that uh, request for the uh, yes, card. Chris Chan. I I think I will have to make a Chris Chan card. Yes, yes, I think it's got to happen. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. there's so many varieties. There's, like, classic Chris Chan. Then there's, like, Christine Chandler. Then there's Sonichu, you know, like, the chaotic combo. I mean, there's so I, I will much. consult <laughs> with you, okay? When it's time to do this card, you can advise me. <laughs> you should to... do, like, an entire uh, Chris Chan uh, theme. Deck, a whole yeah, deck. He exactly. could be an entire suit. There exactly. Could be the Chan suit. And yeah, and then his mother, Snorlax. like the Snorlax, and the dad with the uh, with the axe, you know, to chop down the internet. I mean, he really is like the most documented, uh, or she, or whatever. Lolcow. The most doc, yeah, the most document. Well, not just Lolcow, the most documented individual in history. Bar none. In your world, in your no, in general. I don't. Am I lying world. about this, Jack? Like there is no, there is nobody else. Who has been, you know, just like objective, uh, subjectively, no, objectively, objectively, there's nobody who has been as documented as Chris Chan, bar none. I'm telling you, mm. this is this is the state of the world. For some reason, we are very much attracted. I mean, I'm only speaking for myself here to this strange individual, and I don't know exactly why. Maybe because I played Sonic. <laughs> Look at that glass kick wrote J for Jule. Oh. Oh lordy, the memories they keep flowing back. Anyway, guys, this this is what tells me that we gotta go. This is the end of the stream. It's over. Thank you guys so much.